Hello everyone, my name's Lisa Burke and it's my great pleasure to host this 30 minutes of conversation on biobanking, where we're at, where we're going, what needs to be considered and what can be improved just for a few topics of conversation. And joining me are Francesco Florindi, Marin, Wilfredo Marin and Eric Steinfelder. Wilfredo Marin is a senior product application specialist with Thermo Fisher Scientific, providing knowledge of biobanking and cryopreservation to colleagues and customers around the world. His BA and MS are in Biological Sciences from Stanford University, after which he spent 15 years in academic research organizations. Lab experience includes performing CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing in animal models, sorting pediatric cancer stem cells and managing a rare disease biobank. This led Wilfredo to think about novel workflow solutions that utilize high quality biospecimens. Francesco Florindi is the Strategic Partnerships Manager for Predictive Genomics at Thermo Fisher Scientific. Predictive Genomics is about studying disease risk and understanding drug response in order to focus healthcare resources on improving outcomes. Prior to this, he worked for the European Commission, international academic organizations and patients. Francesco focused on several key European issues such as data protection, health technology assessment, access to quality healthcare, patient advocacy and personalized medicine. He's a fellow young Gansteiner and a former member of the European Health Parliament. And finally, Eric Steinfelder returned to Thermo Fisher Scientific as the Biobanking Market Development Director in February 2020 and is now focusing on the larger pharma customers within corporate accounts. Before this return, Eric was Director General of BBMRI Eric, a research infrastructure fully focused on biobanking. Eric worked for Thermo Fisher Scientific between 2008 and 2017 in various commercial roles, including biobanking commercial leader YEMEA. Eric is a former president of the European Society for Biopreservation and Biobanking, ESBB, and is currently one of their ambassadors. Well, a formidable set of CVs there. Thank you all so much for joining me. Eric, I'm going to start in with you, with your background and long long longevity in this field. Tell us about the whole world of biobanking as you've seen it develop, where it started, where it is today, and then just thoughts, your thoughts about the future. Okay, thanks, Lisa. I will give it a try. I think um, when you look at the research side, everything starts with a high quality sample. If you really want to progress things, you need to know, okay, what is my starting material? Where is it coming from? Who was the donor? Who was the patient? I think between 15 and 20 years, people started to realize that and really said to each other, let's make this a more professional and standardized approach. Then you saw the first biobanks in, in Europe and in the US. But at the time, and still today, nobody has a PhD in biobanking. So it was a bit trial and error. People tried, started, learned a lot, also made mistakes. And ultimately, it really shifted from, in the beginning, basically being a freezer farm where you had samples in your freezer, and then learning all the way what is actually the best way to store it, uh, to get it out. So that's more on the sample side. But there were also challenges on the ethical and the legal side. What can you do legally? 
What can you do ethically? Is this benefiting the patients? I think all in all, we are now at a point where we have a great set of biobanks across the world that have stored great material and are just looking for opportunities to say, okay, where can we really help and support research going further and, and yeah, achieving new and new breakthroughs for, for the patients? So I think we come a long way. Uh, it's now the time that we are ready to, to support that research going forward. Um, yeah, now is the time also to look outside the biobank community and, and start discussing with other stakeholders more intensively what do we need to do now to be ready for five or 10 years and really have an impact? And if we don't do that now, I think we really lose precious time that could benefit uh, a patient or somebody that could prevent a certain disease from developing just by using yeah, the knowledge and the infrastructure that is created. So exciting Thank times, you. I would say. Exciting times and, and a lot to digest there as well. You've touched on two major points. One of them is the material that you're storing and how it's stored. Have we any systemization on that? And I, I think I will throw that question over to you there, uh, Wilfredo. The systemization of how we store the samples across the world because the biobanks are everywhere. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think Eric touched on uh, one of his first points was just how important a sample is for research. So every time a research idea, research project is developed and approved, uh, the samples are collected and stored for that purpose. It's called just storing samples fit for purpose. And when we think about what they can be used for, well, we have to think a little bit more beyond ourselves and just what that project is, how we can collaborate, how we can share those samples. They can be utilized for different projects, not just what they were intended for. And, and that's probably where we sort of run into a little more problems where everything, everyone has a really diverse collection. That diversity, can sometimes hurt us how we're trying to standardize the process. I've always been excited by the research. I really understand the process. We really have some great advice as to how you can improve that process and think, think towards the future. But the samples themselves have sort of rules to follow. They do have to be in certain temperatures. They do have to be uh, processed in a certain way, collected in a certain way after the consenting process. So. We really can provide that type of advice, not just for short-term storage, for long-term storage, um, and even the type of uh, preservation that happens in the process so that when you're ready to use that sample, you have not only all the data that comes with it, but you can be confident that that sample itself has all its biomaterial intact that can be analyzed appropriately. So that's pretty exciting when we think about not just acquiring a sample, but storing a sample, giving us enough time so that we can come up with the idea to actually use it. Well, there's so many parts to that as well. So let's say a researcher in Amsterdam, for example, wants to compare and contrast some samples for whatever he or she is studying there to North America, where you're based. Is there a standardization of how things are stored around the world in the various biobanks? And is there a standardized nomenclature for everything as well? I would say that it's not standardized for uh, across regions. It's standardized probably for the project. And so if you were thinking proteomics or genomics, you have a certain sample type that 
you use as your starting biomaterial. How that's labeled and, and sort of documented in your system is not always standardized. And so a lot of researchers who started these collections, they moved from, I want to acquire as much as possible from the communities near me that are relevant to this disease, uh, towards that progression, like Eric mentioned, of uh, quality of data. And now we're sort of moving towards the generation of large data from these samples. So, um, but everyone has sort of their subject of interest. And so it's not really well harmonized, but I don't believe that that's a reason to sort of turn down using them. People do look for ways to use the, the samples as best as they can. And whether that's uh, appropriate in terms of uh, ethical when there's uh, consenting concerns, you know, like broad consent, broad research ideas. Um, that's a different. That's a different sort of matter that st we have to sort of uh, speak and harmonize amongst ourselves and determine. Well, you've you've touched on something so important there, Manfredo, and I'm going to turn to Francesco now to talk about that because with the burgeoning of these biobanks around the world. We've got so much data. It's almost now it's a data information center and a service provider. Is there any chance that this data could be hacked, for example? It's valuable material to somebody. What do you think, Francesca? You've worked with a lot of the European institutions. How valuable is this and how can it be protected? Uh, Lisa, you make a great point. It is extremely valuable. And we know already, we have heard in the news several um, you know, issues where, where health data, not necessarily coming from a biobank, but more the clinical data um, uh, stored in, in hospitals. Think at what happened in Ireland a couple of, you know, a few months ago, where the whole healthcare system was you know, in lockdown because health data were, were hacked. So it is a very valuable data. Um, but is, um, you know, it's, it's valuable because it's connected to what we do as humans. We're not talking about here astrophysical research. You know, this is human you know, health research, and, and it's valuable because it is really connected to, to, to the human beings. Um, uh, but here we call, you know, we have a, a bit of a, of a, um, uh, of a double-edged sword situation in which, uh, from one hand, we want to keep people's data secure and private and manage uh, th that side, which is crucial to ensure the trust of patients, trust of citizens in the type of research that's, uh, that, that's possible, uh, you know, thanks to, thanks to the products we put on the market, uh, thanks to the capacity of researchers. The trust is so important. The other side of the coin, the other edge of the sword, is that if data is not shareable uh, and, and, and if the rules are not, um, uh, if you want, relaxed enough or smart enough, then data, research doesn't happen. So just yesterday, I was speaking to a, a key opinion leader in the field of genomics and COVID. Uh, and, uh, and, and this person was very brutal and told me very clearly, um, they could have done so much more research in the field of, of, of COVID, just to say one, you know, the latest issue we're facing, if they could have shared uh, electronic health records, paired them better with samples. So clinical data and samples working together. Because again, we're not talking about astrophysics, you know, movement of the stars. We need to connect to the real life, what happens in the real life with what happens in the lab with, with a sample. And, 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 and this person mentioned, this is the problem number one. The fact that this data cannot flow freely, forget about between US and, and Europe, even with, between European countries, this is extremely complicated. Um, 
But again, COVID, I think, gave a good, a good uh, example of, you know, when, when it's necessary, we can, as a community, come together and find a flexible way to um, adapt to these rules. Um, but you see, uh, it's extremely complex. How, how, how can we keep uh, the trust of the population and build on that trust at the same time, make everything available to whoever needs to use it? I don't have the answer, but this is clearly the number one issue that the, the community um, from a legal and ethical standpoint uh, has to come together and, and figure out. I, I, I love to say all the time, you know, we need a new social contract between the users of data and the providers of data, the patients, the people, the citizens, policymakers who don't necessarily understand the type of research uh, we enable. So it's a tough, uh, it's a high call, it's a tough task, but uh, it's one that if we don't face it, if we don't uh, tackle it, it will just uh, halt the, the, the amazing innovation that we've enabled. I think, Eric, you might want to, to come in on this, but just going back to your point, uh, Francesco, you speak so much about trust. Well, trust comes with knowledge often as well. And I think perhaps in the, the wider community of the patient giving the samples, Perhaps we, as a, a greater contributor to the biobanks, we don't understand the work well enough, but perhaps this podcast is step one on the way to helping people understand a little bit more. Eric, I know you have a point to make. Yes, because I just want to echo what Francisco says, but it's so important to have that trust because the research community and biobanks, they go out there to the, to the healthy population or the patient to say, are you willing to donate material and are you willing to share data, a kind of a questionnaire around background issues, etc. So, so you ask quite a lot. They need to be 100% sure that, that the data is handled safe, that the ethical procedures are in place. So, so it, that's, that's already a world on its own and quite complex. Uh, then within the research community, we need to take care of it. And then of course, going further and you really want to make a medicine or a new drug or a new treatment, again, you have to do it. So it's increasingly important to have that in the entire workflow. So yeah, we, we can't say that enough. Well, actually, Eric, you've touched on a really interesting point there as you describe these Venn diagrams of interconnecting communities of people. And uh, Manfredo, I'd like you to come in on this, both you and Eric, well, all of you, I'm sure, have um, a part to play in this in the sense that you have witnessed as this whole world has grown so much in the last decade and perhaps a bit longer as well, how the different communities are moving and what are connecting and what are not connecting enough. So starting with you, Eric and Manfredo, how have you seen those communities come together, grow, which communities are growing the most at the moment and which need more conversation? As Francesco was saying, we need to talk perhaps to the patients more so trust can be developed and perhaps also policymakers. Uh, from, from my perspective, there has been lots of initiatives on getting biobankers together and learning from each other. Okay, how do we store? What are best practices? How do we engage with patients or healthy people? What do, what do we need to do? What do we need to take care of? What kind of infrastructure do we need? Really, really important. But that bubble on its own is not using the samples that are collected. So you need to reach out to other parties. At the same time, you see biotech pharma constantly looking for samples, not knowing where to find them. So you see a little bit of very good, very developed silos that still need to connect to each other. But then again, you have the trust issue. What is so-and-so going to do with my data? 
Is he going to sell it? Yes or no? Or she? So there is still some dialogue that needs to, to happen. The initial steps are there. Uh, but, but from my point of view, it's still way too siloed. And, and it's good that biobanks work together, but they're not going to save each other. They can learn from each other on the procedures, but the real sample access and sharing that needs to go beyond that network. But Francesco, you were in the middle, so. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and uh, Pedro, I think you, yeah, well, both of you, yeah, pick up on this, yeah. Well, I'll just mention that I'm I'm very optimistic. I mean, being part of uh, several organizations, I can tell that there's a lot of experienced people uh, and there are emerging leaders. And I think we're moving in a direction where we can sort of come together and rally behind a sort of a shared purpose, uh, which is to utilize the samples. There's a lot of uh, investment from governments now to establish large cores for research. They're tied into a research project. So any samples that are acquired uh, sort of at that starting point uh, will be intended for a particular project that's funded by governments, you know, different uh, countries. But I see, um, you know, tying this into sort of trust, um, I sort of bring in the, the value of that trust, who values that trust most. And when, when I think of my time in a biobank, um, with this sort of social contract, not just between researchers, it's also, um, you know, a contract with the person who's donating that sample. I mean, we, because we have this project in mind, we really value that sample. And, and in some cases, it's sort of uh, difficult to believe that anyone else can care about it as much as we do. So we know how best to use it. Um, but as we learned in our entire, in our process as well, that there are specialists, there are experts in other fields that can think differently and provide just a different viewpoint of, hey, um, genomically, have you looked at this this area? And um, have you discussed um, different biomaterial, you know, tissues, not just cells or, or sera or plasma, if we get down to specifics. And so bringing more people into a team, um, I think really provides that sort of uh, diverse approach to who will value these samples and when you when everyone is on that same page i think everyone will will be happy to share and with a biotech and say you know what i i understand your cause as well and we have this and even though i collected it and we put in all the initial infrastructure work i'm happy to share this with you because i know that the greater sort of the greater good um is for for us all especially and we've seen that a little bit with the the covid uh, approach to how we need to make this more accessible and um, more have more questions answered from different people in the field. And Francesco, I know uh, you you had a point to make there as well to input. I know you're meeting a different community of people on a daily basis. So tell us about your conversations and the, what they have in their minds and what they don't understand and what you're having to kind of repeat perhaps too much in your mind. <laughs> Uh, well, it's a, um, so let, let, let's, uh, let's split the message into the different crowds. So, um, uh, we have a, an outstanding, uh, number of expert patients out there, uh, people who had the, uh, um, the unfortunate, uh, you know, fate to go through cancer, rare disease, whatnot, and learned from, from that and gi are giving back to their community, to society. Uh, and sometimes they, they know so much, they, they can go 
head-to-head -head with researchers, with physicians, in terms of the, the, their information. Um, and you mentioned before, you know, that educating and, and the, the trust, um, there is a big gap between these expert patients and the rest of the population. There is a huge gap. And that's where um, I think biobanks uh, and, and researchers need to take uh, responsibility. We can help um, because there is a... Um, um, uh, when, I, when, I used to, when I worked at BBMRI, we talked a lot about biobanking as a service, being at service of researchers, making new treatments possible, you know, be the, be the honest broker, if you want, in between all the different... If personalized medicine doesn't happen without the samples, biobanking is really at the center of it all. It really can bring all the different parts together. And I still believe that is the case. I still believe that biobanking has this huge responsibility of bringing everyone together. The good news is that they can. They are really at the center. You know, ask Wilfredo, ask Eric, ask everyone who really knows how to implement, you know, how to move from research to, to, to the clinic, to the hospital. And they will tell you the biobank is the, is the key. Um, so uh, 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 more than, more than you know, um, uh, I think that they need to take on this responsibility themselves and uh, move on from the technical issues that clearly, you know, Thermo Fisher out there, there are plenty of, you know, solutions that we can provide. This is, this is something that it's, uh, um, um, I would say the easy, the easy problem there, and that's clearly not easy, but it's, there are solutions out there. Where there are no solutions is how to connect all these people, how to bring the policymakers to understand uh, what goes on. And, and that's where I, I hope to see um, um, a bigger development. And that's where, you know, if you have any ideas, I'm happy to help anyone who's listening. Uh, reach out to me. I'm happy to, to provide all the knowledge I have in the field of policy because that's, uh, um, that is really the, the, the big issue right now. Um, making sure that not just the technical, uh, the technicians, the scientists, the expert patients, know about the value of biobanking but really the broader public the decision makers um because um soon all the personalized medicine solutions we'll be talking about will move into the clinic and at that step we really need biobanking to make another you know another um uh, exponential growth if you want uh in terms of not just providing the samples but really being you know connecting all this this health data in a trusted way I really like uh, that you said service, Francesco. I really mm -hmm. like that you said service because that type of mindset is not something we see a lot in, in sort of an academic uh, research biobank. We don't think about who we're serving. It's sort of we go through the process and we know that we're the ones that are going to use it. We can't possibly use everything we collect, but we have to think of um, who are we serving? Are we just serving ourselves or did we really make this um, sort of decision to approach a person and, and help them in any way we can. And it might not be like a personalized medicine just tailored for them, but when you gather enough people in a population with a rare disease, um, you can answer some pretty, you know, incredible questions, scientific questions mm -hmm. that will eventually translate back to the patient. So you are serving them in essence, not just ourselves as, as biobankers. So I'm really happy that you're thinking about it that way. I think that's a mindset that we're encouraging uh, biobanks that are starting up to think as well as you may be able to consider this a service. You may be able to recoup some costs if necessary yes. um, and, and, and utilize everything you can. And if not, share that. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it I don't want to be the best. Sorry. 
No, I, I love what you said, Wilfredo, as well, the recouping the cost. This touches on a, on a nerve, I believe, that, I, again, I don't want to be the, the bad guy uh, and uh, negative and pessimist, uh, uh, but I know how policymakers think. And at a certain point, I, I've been saying this for a while, and this never happened, so I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, I, I still think that at a certain point, rather soon, policymakers are going to look at the way biobanks are financed right now, which is in Europe is mostly through public funding of some sort, either direct from the government or grants, academic, and so on. And I'm going to say, uh, so uh, is it money well spent? Are we getting enough return of investment societally from the way biobank operate? From the way biobank operate, because the data and the samples are invaluable. There is no question about that. But are we getting a return as a society, uh, return of investment from mm. the service that biobanks provide? I, I cannot, uh, you know, I'm not an economist, but I don't have an answer right now. I, my feeling would be towards not so much. Um, and I would love the biobanking community to have a, a stronger conversation about this. Yeah, that's a that's a big one. Uh, we've got five minutes left, so I don't know whether I'm going to dive into that one as to whether you're getting value for money or not yet. But Eric, I'm going to turn to you because uh, a number of points have been picked up here. And as Francesca was talking, I was wondering when we think about policymakers and something as huge as our own medicine for the future and how that might change. I, I think often policies policymakers are working on a lag of time. They're working behind time. Hello, Manfredo, nice to have you back there. Um, yeah, so with policymakers, again, it's the knowledge they have in hand. And when it comes to so many technologies these days, they're changing at such a rapid rate. We need that flow of education and knowledge from school through university, right through to the policymakers and across the community of patients as well. So how is that tranche of uh, education being developed and how can the biobank industry help? Yeah, I, th I think it, it, it already helps with, uh, and that's something that we try to do as well with this podcast, is to just to educate the people that they know that this is going on. And hopefully, and that's also what I'm trying to tell my kids, ask the questions. What's going on? How do you, how does this happen? Because if you look on social media and what you read there around how drugs are developed or our vaccines developed, you know, a lot is not true because of a lack of knowledge or you find something that you think, hmm. So I think by using these kind of channels and stuff like that, it's, it's really important to make sure that the facts are out there, the information is out there. Uh, every now and then we speak at, at universities or courses where we say, well, this is our perspective. Of course, it's an industry one, but we have the experience. We see a lot of biobanks out there, connect, learn from each other. Um, on the other hand, I know that there are initiatives to get people that PhD in biobanking, because I think at some point that science needs to also become so mature that you actually can graduate in it and say, okay, I, I know how to do this, which means also it, it helps to build trust. It helps to move on. Uh, and I think it's, it's just, getting it on the agenda and making sure that that access uh, that information is accessible and in the end also we reach policymakers of course we are trying to educate them already but th the earlier we can start if somebody is going to become a policymaker in 15 years from now and now still at high school mm -hmm. if they have heard it if they know the opportunities if they at least have some baggage i, I hope that's going to help uh, uh, the discussion and also help to build the trust that all the all the different stakeholders involved, although still siloed every now and then, really all have the common 
common goal, and that is to help the patients or prevent certain diseases from happening. Mm -hmm. That was put so eloquently. Thank you so much, Eric. And as you talk about that education, I'm always thinking about the policymakers and we haven't got time right now in this podcast to go through the laws that are around at the moment, if there are many. But um, we want people to kind of react in time and not to react to a, a crisis situation. So, But there's only a couple of minutes left, so I'd like to go around you all with a final thought for just a personal thought that you really think about a lot in the field of the business that you're in and also just a message to our listeners today so francesco i'm going to start with you um so the future of health is personalized medicine actually is the present more and more we have more and more disease uh, being cured with personalized medicine um i personally believe that uh, uh, very very soon we all we're gonna get our genome uh, uh genotype and uh, and uh, that's going to be the next uh, revolution out there um the the uh, the money we put in healthcare system versus the outcome we get is not sustainable it's not working genomics and therefore biobanking have a are going to have a huge role uh to to you know count you know make the make the, the balance count uh, and and uh, balance out so um yeah my banks should start uh, thinking about that. Thank you, Manfredo. I mean, along the lines of with uh, personalized medicine, I think it's possible we can eradicate a, a major disease, even a particular type of cancer, an infectious disease. You know, just like um, you know, polio and other other diseases that we we really aren't concerned with now, as we are with COVID. Um, but biobanks are will be at the heart of it. I think everyone will realize that. Um, we're not just in the background uh, serving a purpose, collecting and storing these samples that we really want to share these. And we'll make incredible progress if we just out there and sort of advertise ourselves a bit, a bit better. Thank you. And the final word to you, Eric. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have a very practical one. And I think biobanks are doing great work, but not everybody knows. So be less shy and go out there and, sh and share what you have to offer and what you can do for the community, because it's really, really powerful. But not everybody knows, and I think researchers are modest by themselves. But whatever you can do to change it, just go out there and, and spread a, a very powerful and strong message for, for future medicine. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you all for your knowledge, for your expertise, for sharing the message. I'm sure there'll be a link on this to get in touch with further thoughts and questions. Uh, it's been my great pleasure to, to be the host and to learn more about the world of biobanking. Thank you for your time. And I'm sure there'll be another round of biobanking chat.